Hello and welcome to the Whitehouse Advisor with me, Harry Whitehouse. And in this instalment and the second part of a little international break review of the football that went on, is probably the prominent subject of discourse arising from it, and that is whether or not there should be reform over how teams qualify, basically, for these major tournaments, how the teams in Europe are organised, and how it's all corroborated to decide who will head to the major tournaments and how potentially it should be changed. And obviously, this kind of subject and this questioning has arisen out of England's mullering of San Marino last night. They won 10-0, Harry Kane scored four goals in a blink of an eye, and England obviously wiped away this tiny little province in a corner of it, well, cornered by Italy. You know, they wiped them away, you know, this small, tiny sovereignty of a small population, a fraction of England, let alone any other country. And it's kind of rose these, made these questions arise on social media about how these groups are set up, how teams qualify. Because if we use England as a case study, we typically, before the last two major tournaments, would go through the same process over and over. So we would have a group which we would muller. We would win almost all of the games, likely without conceding a goal at all, and then we would then fail at the major tournament that we had qualified for, and it created the cycle that would go on and on and on. Think about when we qualified for Euro 2016, under Roy Hodgson, we won every game. We were completely convincing. Well, not completely convincing. That's probably a little bit of an overstatement, but we never really looked like losing. We made tough work of some games, but you know it, we got through them, and... Even though these groups are seeded and they're figured out in this way to be as fair as possible, well, at least according to UEFA, this question arises again and again because ultimately, if you are a top seed like England are in every single qualifying stage, you are going to face minnows because, well, many of these countries exist in Europe. You can't have a group filled with the top teams. And ultimately, England have gotten these teams and some of the questions about reform are justified, but I think it's interesting to investigate what the nature of qualifying is at the moment and how that could possibly change in a better way if that exists, in all honesty. And I mean, this is fairly sad and disencouraging to suggest, but I think a lot of this criticism and want for reform comes out of a resentment for the England team. And I think a lot of that, you know, a couple of years ago would have been fair when we had an England team which didn't fully apply itself, that failed at major tournaments. And you know, was constantly underperformed. But now we have an England team that has performed above its expectations probably in both of the last two tournaments. And I think there's a lot of resentment still from the British public because we are built and we are fed and we are, you know, bred to dislike the England national team, I think. I think I think that's true. I think the way it's gone for the past fifty years, we've constantly been at odds with the national team and the footballers and the scandals. And I think that's ingrained in some people. And I think also a lot of the resentment comes out of different factors. I mean, one, it was Michael Owen. Michael Owen was one of the big proponents of suggestions that we should be, it should be changed, that we shouldn't have to play San Marino again. And I think some of that, I mean, obviously this is speculation on my part, but personally I think that's resentment on his part of not being part of the English team that it was now. He played for an England team that was a lot more talented, in my opinion, but didn't apply itself in such a way I didn't have the manager to apply it. And I think he's saying that out of a little bit of resentment and a bit of jealousy of where the England team are, the achievements that they've had, and the you know some of the stats that are being achieved, such as Harry Kane about to break the record. Like I said, complete speculation, but I think that's true. And I think from the public, I think a lot of the want for reform and want for England to be challenged 
comes from the resentment that they have of the England team, and this is really horrible to suggest, but I think it's true, of how politically involved the England team has become over the past so many years. You know, the kneeling, we have so many players in the team who act as a force of change in their daily lives, such as Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford. They all have schemes. Obviously, Marcus Rashford is the most famous example. And I think a lot of people resent that. I think a lot of people who, you know, voted for the Conservative Party resent Marcus Rashford for, I mean, he hasn't really ever challenged the government. He's only acting on his own. But they, you know, they seem as he's under, you know, the way he's acted is you know, supposedly to undermine the government. And I think a lot of people resent him for that. And I think a lot of people resent the team for taking the knee and whatever else for social issues and issues of, you know, racial equality. And I think this is a kind of disguised way of getting back at the team at that. You know, we had all the booing over the summer about taking the knee and there's been resentment building over this England team. And I think that was the true when we lost the final. There were a lot of people who weren't even that disappointed because they'd just been bred and had learned to not even like the England team that much, not identify with them, which is just ridiculous. Like I said, it's sad to suggest it, but I think it's true. I think some of this resentment for the England team arises from the political stance that the team has taken. Well, it's not political, it's humanitarian. It's humanitarian. It's basic human rights that they've, you know, in terms of taking the knee. And obviously, Rashford's gone beyond that in terms of its free school meals initiative and things like that, making sure that children are fed. And I think a lot of people think that Rashford, because he's done that, you know, has tried to undermine the government, which is ridiculous. But honestly, I think the resentment derives from that in some part. You know, I'm not going to be totally ignorant and blind to suggestions of reform and deny that, you know, reform isn't possible and that improvements aren't possible to the way that teams qualify for the World Cup and the Euros. But I think a lot of the line of argument is quite dangerous in a way because, well, it's very, very similar, eerily similar, to the proposal in the nature of the Super League. It was the idea that these teams didn't need to compete with the teams below them anymore and they wanted to destroy the competition and create a closed-off group. Obviously, it isn't the same and it's got different nuances and the gap between bottom of the Premier League and as, isn't as big between... at the top of the Premier League isn't as big as you know between England and San Marino. But I think the line of argument that's been used that we shouldn't have to play these teams, we shouldn't have to compete with these, is very, very dangerously similar to the Super League that obviously there was almost consensus argument against, including myself. So I think it's a little bit hypocritical in a way that people rightly acted in disgust and rage to the Super League, but I also think, you know, practice what you preach. You you know, you've got to apply that to this as well. And, you know, there was a great story on the Twitter from a lad, an English lad, who had played in the uh, Spanish fifth tier. And in the Spanish fifth tier, he played with an Andorran player. And he spoke of the pride that he had when we they played England in like 2008, 2009 range, World Cup qualifiers for 2010 in South Africa, about the pride that he had representing his country, this tiny strip of land in between France and Spain, you know, representing his country, representing his family, representing his people, representing his club team on that stage. He knew he was going to be chasing the shadows of Gerard and Lampard and Rooney. He knew he wasn't going to get closer. He knew they were going to get battered at Wembley and they weren't going to lay a glove on England. But he had immense pride in it. And yes, we can argue whether or not that's right that that player has the opportunity to play against those players because on any other platform, he really doesn't. He isn't comparable to them. But I think it's a similar thing to the Super League ultimately, in my opinion, that it's dangerous to start taking away these privileges from teams who, by nature of being a state, have earned them. Of being a national team, they've earned the right to play who they're drawn against in this way. 
I think if we're serious to be start to talk about reform, I think you know it is possible. You know, we have some of these groups for European qualification that are of different sizes. That just doesn't make any sense in a coherence manner. There could be playoff rounds before any groups take place between San Marino and Andorra or the Faroe Islands to decide who gets the last group space. I think that's probably one of the more realistic suggestions, but that still isn't going to stop in a way of England having the possibility of playing the Faroe Islands or Germany playing Luxembourg. That's still likely going to happen. And I think, you know, there is already seeding in place. We didn't have seeding. You know, England can end up with, yes, they could end up with a group with France, Portugal and the Netherlands, but they could also end up with a group of all three of the teams I've just suggested. They could end up with a group of Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, the Faroe Islands and San Marino. You know, there are already seedings in place. But ultimately, you know, there just aren't that many countries. It isn't like football where we can, you know, uh, football club football where we can, you know, just um, tie teams off into European competitions and what have you. And, you know, create the elite of the elite. There's only so many teams. I mean, obviously, there's only so many teams in club football. But there's a lot more. There's a lot more um, differentiation in quality. And there's a, there's, and therefore, there's a lot more structure to make sure that teams play at an appropriate level. But, yeah, I think the most realistic way of doing it, and I know this is how they do it in uh, the... Not in the Americas, because in the Americas, they all play each other, which is just crazy. But I suppose there's only a few of them. But I know in the Oceania... They have like playoffs, so the Samoan Islands never have to go that far. They just get knocked out in a playoff to earn the right to play in the groups. And I think that's probably a more realistic way of doing it rather than tying off an elite group of European nations. Because let's face it, it's in everybody's best interest for these countries to qualify. There's no other way around it. Rather than tie them off and make sure they challenge each other. I understand the argument that England need more competition in between tournaments. And I think that's what the purpose of the Nations League is. But obviously, because of the way COVID has been, that's decimated the Nations League because it doesn't quite have the formality and the uh, importance of league football or European qualification. But that's what the Nations League is for. And I think the Nations League, Nations League is actually quite good, personally. I think we've had, what, two tournaments so far. England got to the finals of the first one and didn't to the second. I think the Nations League provides a good structure to have that in the summers that we don't have major tournaments of competition and you know England lost to the Netherlands fair and square and that was a good game and it showed a lot about this English team and how far they had to go which they you know they proved they did obviously a lot of that came around with the natural occurrence of new players such as you know Mason Mount Phil Foden becoming a good player since they lost to the Netherlands in 2019 in the Nations League semi-final but you know provided a framework of tournament football it was a, a country you know it was over a, over a weekend, you know, it was a good experience, I think. And I think the way of improving European national football isn't through reform of the framework of qualification processes. I think it's more through the establishment and the integration of the Nations League. I think that's a really important and really good idea from UEFA in total and creates more competition. And, you know, there's a new trophy on the line. And I think it's a really good introduction. And I think, like I said, the pathway creating a more competitive you know structure to international football make it less pragmatic and more fluid because these man these managers have such little time to work with their players that when they play the football on the national level is often quite stale and boring because they just don't have the time to build the patterns that they would do at the club level but I think the Nations League provides a forum for teams to build on that build identities that they can then take into the ultimately more important major tournaments and I think that is ultimately the pathway 
into improving international football when we are in these awkward stages in between major tournaments? 